One intrepid and helpful listener has sent me a video from Penn Gillette on atheism. We will start there. Also, the Mueller Report is coming out soon. We will talk about all that and a lot more on today's Corey Truax Show. This is the best thing, the best thing that could be happening. And I think you would agree the best thing is that it's happening to you and me. Along with that Pendulette video that one of you sent me, there will also be some other listener feedback on the show today. Some positive and one constructive critique of the show. Believe it or not, not everybody likes everything I do. Sometimes there are critics. I know, it's hard to fathom, but it's true, and I will break break to you that criticism of me slowly. It's actually a good critique in one that I will will take uh, into advisement. My name is Corey Truax. I will be your host for the show today, which works out because the name of the show is The Corey Truax Show. So it's a really lucky accident there, almost like serendipity. Amongst many other things, I'm the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church meets at our property in Greenville, South Carolina at 1030 on Sunday mornings. We would love to have you there at Beachwood Church at 1030 Sunday mornings. We are dedicated to smarter, deeper, better talk about everything here on the Corey Truax Show. And that is what we're going to do today is some smarter, deeper, better talk that really spans a ton of topics. We will start here. Keeping first things first, politics isn't first, government and culture aren't necessarily first. Uh, first things first, we're going to keep it to matters of faith. So Pendulette, I love Pendulette. Pendulette's the magician with pen and teller. Beyond just being a clever guy, someone I, I genuinely do like listening to. I love seeing his interviews. He is a atheist. He used to be a very angry atheist, like an evangelical one. Like he needed everyone else to be an atheist. It's very important to him that everybody be an atheist. He's in his late 60s now. He's super chill. He interacts with people of faith with a lot of respect. Uh, he's he's a decent dude. Like I actually like Pendulette a lot. He's a really interesting personality. I had a listener who's outside of the Christian faith send me a very old Pendulette video, uh, but the content therein is worth getting into. I believe this is from 2010 that this came out. Uh, so I want to play for you some things Pendulette says and then respond to it with this being the goal. There is certainly a growing secularism in the country. But th- at some level, what's growing is actually like a new paganism. It's, it's, it's new sets of gods, or it's, uh, it's calling the God of the Bible something he's not. It's people making up their own God. They, they like the idea of spirituality. Maybe they don't want to embrace atheism. So secularism is growing, some kind of weird paganism is growing, certainly atheism is growing. But more than anything, I think my goal is to help equip you, because some of the arguments you're about to hear from Penn Jillette are some of the most common amongst really brave internet atheists. Maybe some of the maybe you know one in your life. And so it's kind of twofold. One, I don't want your faith shaken. If, when you see one of these online, you see in a comment thread some angry militant atheist, which is almost the only kind there are now, really angry militant atheists, when they say some of this stuff, that you're not shook by it because it's not impressive. It is not a, there, These things you're about to hear from Pendulette don't have a lot of intellectual ingenuity to them. So that's one, to help sturdy up your faith. But second, if you do happen to interact with somebody who would bring these things up, that you would be prepared to respond kindly, but with accuracy. So that is the goal of what we're going to do today, at least with this first segment. So first up here, uh, Pendulette 
made a statement. I'm not going to play for you. Uh, he was asked, how did you become an atheist? And his response was, well, I read the Bible. And anyone who actually takes the time to read the Bible, if you actually read it, you'll come out an atheist. So first response. One, that's so lazy. And it's also so arrogant. Do you honestly believe that, Pin? The folks that say that kind of stuff? There's been no one with any kind of intellect that's ever read the same book you did and come to a different conclusion. Is that what's happening there? You're just that much more special than literally millions of people who have read the same words. Man, just read the Bible and you'll become an atheist. It's because those idiot Christians can't read that they're not atheists. They don't actually read their book. Listen, the folks who profess Christianity, we got a problem. We certainly don't interact with the Scriptures enough. But this trope that people say, you will just read the Bible you'll become an atheist. It's so lazy and it's so arrogant that it almost doesn't deserve a response. Second, the next time someone does that to me, I'm going to quiz them. I'm so going to quiz those guys because that's what I hear from atheists all the time. They act like they're biblical experts, like they know so much more about my theology than, than I do. And so next time they do it, I'm just going to hit them with it. Hey, oh, you're a Bible expert. Hey, can you tell me what word uh, it's, it says in the Old Testament that when they're traveling through Canaan, there's a certain word that they, uh, they got people to say to try to see if they were from a foreign country or they're from their own country because if they couldn't say it the right way, they knew they, were, they didn't come from the right dialect. That word is shibboleth, by the way. I would love to know if you can tell me that. Hey, can you tell me who Abraham's kids are? Can you name them for me? Jacob's kids. All right, good. You got, uh, you got Abraham. Can we do Isaac? What was Isaac's brother? What about Jacob's brother? Can, how, many of, how many of Jacob's 12 sons can you name? What about his four wives? You, you Bible expert, you. How much can you tell me about my book that you say you're such an expert about? Now, I don't want to yell about it and be mean that way. But that's the, next, that's the next thing I would love for you to do. When someone proclaims, I read the Bible, and that is what made me a secularist. All right, tell me how much you know. I tell you that I'm going to hit him with this first. I can't wait next time a secular person hits me with the, I read the Bible. How many books are in the Old Testament? Go ahead, give it to me. How many books are in the New Testament? Can you tell me who, who wrote the majority of words in the New Testament? Yeah, tell me about how much Bible you know. So that's the first thing with Pendulette. Well, I'm an atheist because I read the book. Well, first, your arrogance is insane. That if anyone would just read what I read, they would come to the same conclusions I, I came to. We read different books and come to different conclusions all the time. People interpret different facts all the time. People interpret different events all the time. The idea that your way of interpreting what you read is the only one is an insane level, almost like a psychopathic level of arrogance. Two, I actually don't believe most of you. I don't believe for a second you read the thing. And I would love to know how much you actually remember, how much you understood of what you read. Vast majority of atheism actually comes from some other issue, mad at, mad at God for something, mad at Christians for something. A lot of times when they're mad at Christians, they have justification for it. And then they go online, they go to the blog, they heard somebody say one thing one time. They hold on to these little arguments. They're not that they're not that sophisticated at all. So there's the first part. Pendulette says, well, I read the Bible, and that's how I became an atheist. Then he gets the question, well, what about reading the Bible would make you an atheist? Here we go. I'm going to let him now speak for himself. This is Pendulette. I think because uh, what we get told about the Bible is, uh, is a lot of picking and choosing. When you see, um, you know, Lot's daughter... What's about to happen here is fantastic. Because he's supposed to be making an argument 
how does the Bible turn you into an atheist? His problem is, well, what you're taught about the Bible is a lot of picking and choosing. And you know what he's about to do? Some picking and choosing. You know, Lot's daughter uh, gang-raped and beaten and, and, and the Lord being okay with that. When you actually read... That is not at all the case of that story. I mean, I could guess go through that. Maybe we will go through that at some point. But here's some more of him picking and choosing. This is how the Bible will turn you into an atheist. Because, you know, you just get pick and you get to choose uh, parts that you want. About uh, Abraham being willing to kill his son. From the Jewish tradition and the Christian tradition, that's not at all what that story is. Like, literally from the beginning, the act of faith is that God would provide a way not to kill Isaac. It's that in faith, Abraham was believing. You actually get clarity on this in the New Testament through Hebrews. That in faith, Abraham knew God has promised this seed that my descendants are going to be like the stars of the heaven, like the sand of the sea, and or the sand of the beaches. And so either I'm going to kill my son as God's going to resurrect him, or God's going to provide another way. The act of faith in that was not I'm willing to kill my son. It's that God is going to keep his promise no matter what else is being said. Uh, when you actually read that, when you read the insanity of the talking snake, when you read the um, hostility towards uh, homosexuals, towards women, the um, the cell. There's no hostility towards, I mean, homosexuals and women. There's laws. There's a there's a a system established in Genesis of what is best for human flourishing, and then everything outside of those systems for human flourishing has consequences to them. This is. He's not even quoting anything there. So he, he got to, uh, Lot's daughter, Abraham and Isaac, I don't like the talking snake. And then generalities. Just not anything from the text. Just generalities of things he's heard people say about the Bible. Celebration of slavery. There is no celebration of slavery. Uh, this, this is, again, a trope I've covered. And again, he's not quoting anything there. He just says it. The Bible just celebrates slavery. And here's why he's not quoting anything. Because he doesn't know. This is a normal thing amongst atheists. When you read in context that thou shalt not kill means only in your own tribe. I mean, there's no hint that it means humanity in general. The Again, this is stuff, he's, I guess he quotes a Ten Commandment there, but he has no elaboration on these points. This is, I'm coming to a bigger point here. I guess I should let him finish and I'll come to the bigger point. But there's no sense of a, uh, of a shared humanity. It's all tribal. When you see a God that is uh, jealous and insecure. Uh, These, this is the Oprah way of reading the Bible. If you talk to genuinely anybody inside the Christian faith and you're not just interpreting it yourself the way you want to, that is not the interpretation as God is a jealous or insecure God. And we could go through all those apologetics one by one, but here is the bigger point. Literally none of those arguments are for atheism. What is atheism, guys? It's having the confidence, cone fide, with faith. Actually, what confidence means. It's having the confidence that there is no God. I think a fair definition of atheism is more. Is you have more faith, more confidence that there isn't a higher power than there is one. Literally nothing Pendulette said has anything to do with that. All of those arguments are, I don't like the God of the Bible. I don't like the Bible. Those are arguments for atheism, and I would encourage you to, to respond that way. Oh, so, you, so you're not actually saying anything about God existing. You're saying that the one that Christians worship, you don't like him. You don't like his systems. You don't like his standards. You don't like the book 
that he wrote. That's lit. You're literally not arguing against God. You're saying you don't like him. You're actually presupposing he's he exists and he's not in your image. He doesn't think like you think. He doesn't live like you with live. He doesn't have the values you value, and so you just hate him. This is an important distinction to make for people. When you hear all that stuff, we can respond to those one by one, but the first point I would make to any atheist is you're not actually arguing against the existence of God at all. You're saying you think there might be one, and you don't like him. So if you want to make an argument for atheism, make one, but right now you're just telling me how much you don't like God and how much you don't like Christians and don't like the book. Maybe we'll spend the day and go back through some of those individual uh, passages individually, but when you hear that, that kind of language, I, I hope you're ready to respond. Do it, in, do it in grace. Do it kindly. But we can respond in confidence that way. When we come back, we'll get out of that topic. We'll move on to some news and culture and politics and some of those other things all of you like to hear about. We'll do that when we come back on the Corey Act Show. Before getting back to the show directly, let me tell you about my friends over at Blacktop Media. Blacktop Media is a company you can find out there on Facebook. They were the company that helped me get CoreyTruax.com off and running my original feed over on iTunes. They helped me with that. This is a, uh, a stellar group of people that really offer a great model for growth opportunities for your service, your business, your brand. Uh, they are brand managers. They're a great marketing group of people with web solutions, marketing solutions. So let me encourage you for whatever endeavor you are taking part in. If that is a business, you're an entrepreneur, it's a brand of yours, you are part of a church, you need some help with some marketing, some uh, some brand management. The folks over at Blacktop Media helped me a great deal. They are some stellar folks. They can help you as well. Find them on Facebook, excuse me, on Facebook at Blacktop Media or contact me directly. I will be glad to get you their contact information. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show. If you would be so kind, connect to the show on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat. I am doing a lot more over on, on Instagram now, uh, so I'd be uh, honored if you would join me over there. I was going to hold this till later, but let's go ahead and do some listener feedback. I've been getting some feedback from from you, and so let me toss uh, toss a couple of those things out there. Uh, so first, a lot of good positive. I should not say a lot. That sounds like my show is bigger than it is. Eh, that's not good. So I got a couple responses to last week's first segment about contentment and about uh, about how where we are is what's best for us. Um, and so for all of you who responded there positively, I am grateful for it. Uh, let me actually read one here from Barry. Barry wrote into the show and said, Hey, Corey, I liked your podcast, but a little constructive criticism. And I can take that. I'm good at constructive criticism. He says, Calling AOC, that's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, names and talking down to her wasn't kind in my opinion. Well, Barry, that's not your opinion. You're, you're right. It's not kind. Uh, that's You're just right, period. End of sentence. Now, granted, I don't. I didn't call her names. I said she is dumb, and I stand by that. I do think she has a low IQ. Um, I, I've said that about the president of the United States. I stand by that too. I think Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and Donald Trump, if we sat them down, and they both took a GRE or they both took an SAT score uh, or took an IQ test, I think they're about as smart as one another in aptitude. Um, but so I didn't call her names. I didn't do that. It's not like I called her a trollop or something. I just, which is, by the way, a term we should all bring back for certain types of girls. Uh, but in any event, I didn't call her a name. I, I did talk down to her, though. And so, you know, it's not kind. And that should be the first question. 
uh, before we ask questions about effectiveness, it is best to ask questions about morality and right and wrongness. And no, it's not kind. If you didn't listen to the last episode, the way in which I talked down to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is to call her pumpkin and to call her sweetie. And granted, it's because she did say an objectively dumb thing, an, a, a thing that is objectively false. It shouldn't be hard to understand. You know, it was about the Amazon thing. She was talking about billions of dollars like they were hers, that they weren't Amazons, and how she was gonna sp- how she can spend them on better things. Like, literally, it was the it was the understanding I would expect from like a thirteen or fourteen year old about how economics works. And but talking down to her, yeah, it's not kind, and I will take that under advisement and try to do better with it. Uh, the next from Barry, I actually like her and think she is smart. I definitely don't think she's smart. I do think she's a low IQ person, and you can like her. I think she's. I actually find her quite. She's a very pretty girl. Um, more videos of her dancing on rooftops. Those are going to go great. When she opens her mouth, dumb things come out. So I don't find her likable in that way. I think I gave an illustration on Josh Kimbrell's show when I was sitting in for him. Alexandria Ocasio Cortez is a girl I would go on a date with, and a good hour in, I would just be like, uh, "What? What? What?" Oh, what have I done? How long do I have to stay? This is not, oh gosh, this is not good. Because she's not, I don't think she is that bright. And as a consequence, I don't find her all that likable. But if you find her likable, that's fine. We can agree to disagree on that. Um, Barry says she's at least as smart as any other politician in Washington, D.C. I don't know. Uh, I could give you probably 20 people off the top of my head that I think are smarter who understand things more. I would start with Ben Sass. I go with Jim Lankford. I'd go to Jim Jordan. I guess Paul Ryan's no longer there, but Paul Ryan is certainly smarter. Uh, if you want to go to, to Democrats, I mean, I think Amy Klobuchar is smarter than she is. Tristan Gillibrand's smarter. Uh, they're smarter people uh, than her by a long way, too. Um, he Then Barry says, I like your points, but when I hear anyone talking down to others, I turn it off, which is fair. That's totally fair. Again, because I'm not going to argue that it was not, that it was nice. Like, it certainly was not kind. Uh, and he says that's why he never listens to Limbaugh. You're better for that. Never listen to Hannity. Hannity's a moron. And he says he doesn't listen to Beck. Hey, Glenn Beck's awesome, by the way. Um, he's you, If you think he talks down to people, you, oh, you got it wrong. Glenn Beck is, I think, probably the most gifted broadcaster of the last 50 years. Uh, very funny. You should, give, you should give Glenn Beck another shot. Um, and he says you know, he doesn't listen to Fox News for things. Lawrence O'Donnell as well. Uh, that's over on MSNBC for the same reasons. So at least you're consistent, which is like 12 of us on the planet. There's very few consistent people anymore. So I appreciate it. So thanks for writing into the show. Barry, to Brandon. Uh, Brandon just wrote in with a ton of encouragement, and I'm grateful. Um, he also did this. You can support the show on Anchor. I don't ever like ta- I don't like talking about that because I don't want to ask your money. But Brandon went over and supported the show. Uh, you know, there's a, a lot of podcasts out there that use a service that I will just have nameless because I don't like them. Uh, but they just set up an account where you can just go donate. Donate to your favorite broadcaster because you like what they do. You think what they're doing is valuable. You think their voice is valuable out in the culture. And Brandon went and did that. I have a couple other folks on Anchor who, uh, that just donate to the show. They're not even advertisers getting nothing out of it. And you know you can do that on Anchor. If you have the Anchor app, you can just go over and support the show. I'd be grateful if you did. And thank you to Brandon for doing so. It does. That means a lot. When I see that pop up and it's like, whoa, a human being. Like a thinking, smart person believes in what I'm saying enough to want to give to it. Wow, that's that means a lot. So I'm grateful for it. Thank you for it very genuine, genuinely. Uh, if you have other listener feedback or you want to respond to my response to Barry, 
feel free. You can do that by writing into the show on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat. You can also email the show as uh, Wayne does sometimes. I know that um, Bill writes into me sometimes with uh, with thoughts on the show. You can do that at any of my email addresses. You can find it at coretruex.com. I think there was, oh yeah, Anchor. Also over on the Anchor app. You need, really should get that app. You can call into the show. You can actually call on the app, leave a voicemail, and I can cover that on the show if it's if it's something we need to get out there for people to hear. All right, so that's the listener feedback for the week. Next, we are coming up soon on the Mueller report. So after, it's got to be close to two years now, I would say. Uh, Robert Mueller's report is supposed to be out in February, is what we're all hearing, that sometime in February it is coming. Uh, if, if somehow you don't know what I'm talking about, this is the gentleman who was tasked with studying and investigating any kind of official ties between the Donald Trump presidential campaign and government officials in Russia. I really only have a quick word of caution on this. I think what's ultimately going to come out of the Mueller report, and I, I guess there's some possibility I could be wrong, is that I just think very little is coming, guys. And I think uh, there's a big chunk of folks who have some sort of faith in it, like, like justice will come for this terrible person. And we all, I mean, I'm with you. Donald Trump's a bad guy and all that. I've never had much, I, I've never believed much of the Russia connection. And now there's even Andy McCabe, who is certainly out of the FBI and not a Trump guy. And he is, I think, trying to prepare people. I saw him on, was that CNN? I think I saw him on CNN saying sort of what I'm saying that there is some chance that what comes out of this is n- maybe a low-level indictment of somebody tangentially related, but there's no, there's like not going to be any big consequence from the Mueller report. I've been there the entire time. I think that's still the case. And so I, just, I sort of just want to prepare you, whoever you are, if you think a big thing is coming and we're about to have a bombshell, the Mueller report, if there were stock in the Mueller report, I would have never bought it. And if you have emotional investment in its outcome, I would encourage you to sell that stock because I don't think you're going to get out of it much of anything. To the extent, I've predicted things like this before and I have been right. I think what's going to come out in less than a month later, we'll never talk about it ever again. I'll give you the last time I was right. It came up on my Facebook memories here recently. You remember when there was a, uh, there was an op-ed uh, New York Times, Washington Post, I can't remember who actually published it. That was, it was supposed to be someone in the tr- in the Trump administration writing an op-ed about how there was, you know, still like a remnant of people in the, in the administration who were working behind the scenes, and people were really excited about it. Uh, and I said, you know, we're not going to be talking about that in a, in a week. Like, no one is going to talk about it. And guys, I was, um, I was right like totally and utterly right. Like we, we weren't talking about that really quickly because this stuff just doesn't, it often doesn't matter. The things we think matter don't actually. All right, so that's it. It's coming out soon. And so I wanted to uh, to prepare you for what I think is going to be an anticlimactic ending. Next up, there's a bill floating around the state house in Vermont that it deserves at least some discussion not because it is an event, right? Events are for media minds, 
but for the idea behind it, the big-minded thing, the idea behind the event. The bill is really truly staggering to me. There is a line in the whereas clauses. When you write a bill, you say whereas, all of the reasons, and then therefore enacting this law. That's how a bill is written. One of the whereas clauses is every individual who becomes pregnant has the fundamental right to choose to carry a pregnancy to term, give birth to the child, or to have an abortion. So that's an end of sentence. Every person has the right to any of those things. The It also has in the actual language of the law, a fertilized egg, embryo, or fetus shall not have independent rights under Vermont law. So there's no... So fetus, nine months in gestation, still in the mother's womb. This is... This is not a human being. There's no rights to this to this person. They also turned down a bunch of very reasonable amendments. Republicans in the Vermont House tried to have an amendment that says, "All right, fine, abortion's legal, but you have to at least see a ba- uh, an ultrasound before you do it." Or uh, it has to for minors. If you're under an, if you're underage, you have to have a parental consent. There was none of that. Like this is. Now, I'm not exaggerating here. I'm not trying to do the talk radio, uh, rile people up thing. This is a abortion with no limits bill. For any reason whatsoever, at any time, you can kill your kid. But that's the event. It's likely going to become law. Here's the idea behind it that matters more. On abortion in this country, for most of my life, I guess I'm about a third of the way through my life, probably a little bit more than a way through, uh, more of the way through than a third. The conversation has been from the left that abortion should be legal, uh, but they they said they wanted it to be rare and they wanted it to be safe. That was the old mantra, the old Bill Clinton Al Gore years. What do you think about abortion? Well, abortion should be safe, legal. And rare. Those are the three things. We definitely have an American left wing that is no longer concerned about rare. That is not part of the platform anymore. Abortion is something that is an objective good to them. They want more of them. And this should not be surprising because this is not black helicopter stuff. This is just the truth. Planned parenthood is big abortion. So the same way there's big pharma, there's big pharmaceutical, and there's big oil, and there's big... Tele, uh, telecom, there's a bunch of big corporations. Planned Parenthood is a billion-dollar industry. Their industry is abortion. They make a ton of money off abortions. Democrats get a lot of money from Planned Parenthood. This is, I mean, they believe in it. They have they have the, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say what I think it is, satanic view that we should kill our kids, we have the ability to kill our children uh, from the ultimate autonomy of the human, but there's this, this uh, great relationship they have with the billion-dollar industry that is abortion. So they have no interest in it being rare. If it's rare, Planned Parenthood makes less money. They want Planned Parenthood to roll in money that's just blood-washed money of the killing of children. They seem to not have much care for it to be safe. So when Republicans introduce bills that are things like, well, yeah, you can't be doing abortions, these sometimes intricate medical procedures— if you don't have admitting privileges to local hospitals, when you, Republicans even want to have any kind of regulation on an abortion clinic, Democrats don't like that. You just look at Kermit Gosnell. Kermit Gosnell in Pennsylvania was running a horror show up there, and 
for the rights of women. Democrats would say you can't go in there and regulate uh, that clinic. So they seem to have no interest in it being rare, no real interest in it being safe. An abortion clinic is basically the only place the left thinks a government shouldn't be. They want government involved in absolutely everything except a medical procedure that kills the that kills a child. And so, uh, now they just want it legal, and they seem to encourage it. They want more abortions. So as a matter of, I guess, the ideas, the, the idea here is to recognize the the debate has changed. The second idea I want to reiterate, because I know I've said it before, I do believe this is true. I think that decades from now, maybe in my lifetime, maybe a smidge after my lifetime, we will, as a culture, look at abortion as the savagery it is. Like, it'll be included in those things that we say that are terrible about America. What we did to the natives, slavery, Jim Crow, abortion. Can you believe we used to do that? Can you believe we allow children to be murdered in the womb for no reason whatsoever but convenience? Just, I didn't want it. Didn't want a kid. So I killed the kid. This is also an intellectually bankrupt position. And the more science, I mean, it's actually, it's, it's funny. If it weren't so macabre and sad, I guess it would be funny. It seems to be the folks on the left, they want to think of themselves as the party of science, the ideology of science. They seem to have no value or understanding of a lot of the science we have available to us. I'll give you two examples, and we'll call it a day on this. But abortion is one. It's one thing in 1973, I think that's the Roe versus Wade decision. It's one thing to be confused about it then. We don't have great ultrasound technology. We have There's still some mystery about what's happening in the womb. I had a brilliant friend, Samuel, bring up to me once that some of the founders and some of the old biblical language, or at least Christian language, was about the quickening. It was the... When, when, it seemed, when it seemed apparent life was in the womb, like when the, bio, the kid's moving around, like that's when we've got to stop killing our kids uh, or you don't want abortions. Like, uh, so he was making an argument that there might be an argument for abortion before the quickening, before the child moves in the womb, something like that. And I actually have, I don't agree with it, but I actually have some great deal of regard and respect for that argument. But it, again, going back, it's, it's one thing in 1973 to not really know what was going on in the womb and say, yeah, you can go, we can have abortions up through two trimesters. It is sticking your head in the scientific sand now. I mean, we, we've got so much data, so much information on what's going on in the womb. We actually have 4D ultrasounds. Like, we know really well what's happening in the womb now. And so it's an anti-scientific idea to say, no, that, that, that thing I'm looking at a picture of right now, this ultrasound picture that's obviously a baby and it has a beating heart and a brain that's working and kidneys that, that process fluids and a liver that's, that's doing whatever livers do. So it's also filtering things. Like this is, it's got its own fingerprints and there's, hey, look, 10 fingers, 10 toes. That's not a human and we can kill it. That is an anti-scientific, insane view. Because again, I don't think it's insane. I think it's pagan. And so paganism will often manifest itself in an insane way. That's just one example. Another I think I thought about here recently was climate change. I think I mentioned this on the show recently, and if I did, my apologies. But I, I recently saw an uh, academic program at UNC Wilmington that I was very intrigued by called 
uh, I forgot, coastal engineering, something like that. And as I looked into it, it seems to be a scientific discipline regarding how to go about addressing climate change. Not stopping it, but recognizing, well, it's happening, so we're going to have higher sea levels. We can probably do something about that, guys. We've got seawalls and all kinds of other technology that, oh, like, oh, the, co- the coasts are going to have some ero- erosion, and we have some control over what's happening out in the sea a little bit through some engineering. Well, let's come up with a way. Like, if, if you're telling me in the next 50 years the seas are going to rise this much, well, let's adapt. We're smart people. We have, avail- we have availability and, and ability here to, and, and we have even some time frame, so we can either do the idiotic Green New Deal thing that is, I think I said, I'm going to keep this as one of my themes. I'm still offended by the Green New Deal that it didn't offer me a unicorn. I mean, it was so unrealistic in every way. The idea that you didn't include a unicorn for every household, that's, that's insulting. Like You should absolutely have given unicorns to all Americans. Their idea here scientifically is, well, we'll just uh, come up with a way around climate change. But it is the folks on the left that have no faith that science can solve it. They have no faith that those in the, in the STEM fields can come up with a way to adjust to a different climate, assuming it even, it's even going to happen. But what you're predicting is less than 2 degrees Celsius change. And ultimately, if you look at the changes in the climate, they're manageable. And here, here we are. I'm the guy who says, you know, we'll probably figure it out. We've got brilliant people out there, brilliant engineers that n- can predict what's coming through climate change. So since it's a predictable problem, we can come up with solutions and go ahead and address it before it happens. So it ends up being a conservative value to have the faith in the sciences to solve some of these things. Ultimately, it will be science that might solve abortion through 100% effective birth controls. And it's science that can affect climate change uh, through giving us some solutions to adapt to it. We'll be back with more news. We'll also do sports at the end of the show with Heath. Come back for the remainder of the Corey Truax Show. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show. I am honored you have you have just chosen to spend some time with the show. I think this would be valuable. Let's talk about the candidates for president on the Democratic side. There's a bunch of them that are already declaring that they're running. We already have Kamala Harris out there, Beto O'Rourke or Robert O'Rourke, Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, I believe Amy Klobuchar, yeah, from Minnesota has already declared, and uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, senator from New York. Kirsten Gillibrand is just the younger Hillary Clinton. Again, not to discuss the personalities or the news, but there actually is some ideas. There's something to, to recognize behind who's running and some of what's happened already amongst these candidates. For my purposes, as I mentioned recently, Eric Erickson, a hero of mine in in the in the ideology of free market capitalism and conservatism and conservatism has decided to sign on with the president in his reelection campaign. Can't do that. I won't do it. But I can also not going to vote for any of these insane Democrats who are running. So I'll I'll search out whatever third party is most fun or might not uh, I might not participate at all. I really am coming to that point where I just don't like politics. I'm not interested in it anymore. It's For a while, I think I did have it as an entertainment value, and it's just not fun. There's no fun to it. It's all obnoxious. It feels like everyone involved with it's kind of stupid. Like It's just not fun to get involved with anymore. 
but I guess it has some bearing on our lives, so it deserves some attention. So really quickly on these Democratic candidates, if you had to get, if you had to ask me to handicap or predict who's going to be the nominee, as it stands, I would lean towards Robert O'Rourke or Beto O'Rourke. He was in Congress from the El Paso area, and he uh, ran against Ted Cruz and did okay there in Texas. But some of these folks have routes. Like Kamala Harris has a route to the nomination there. Bernie Sanders certainly does. That insane socialist. I know that there is... um, It is so weird to me. There is a... A feeling around Bernie Sanders, I can tell, definitely the American left, but some on the American right. There's an affinity for him. Like, he's being gen- he's a genuine guy, he's truth to power, and all that. He ascribes not just to, like, an Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez democratic socialism. This is a guy who, in his life, said glowing things about Fidel Castro and the Soviet Union. This is a guy, in his lifetime, who is... Because ha- he's old. He's been able to see communism kill people. He's been able to do that. And he's still for government control of everything. This is not endearing. That's evil. That's an evil ideology. But there, he raised $4 million in two days. I mean, the guy just declared he was running for president. Man, it showed there is some appetite out there for Bernie Sanders. Elizabeth Warren probably already needs to drop out of the race. She's kind of falling apart. The... Democratic senator from Massachusetts, Cory Booker, is an insane person, uh, but uh, who actually looks googly-eyed and insane. Here's my bigger theme. Cory Booker, uh, Kamala Harris, Amy Klobuchar from Minnesota, I mean, doing this off the top of my head is really dangerous, uh, also the New, York, the New York person, Gillibrand, yeah, Gillibrand, at least those four people spent a great deal of their political career building a reputation as middle-of-the-road Democrats. Kamala Harris, Beto O'Rourke did that too. So Kamala Harris comes up through politics as a prosecutor, and it's hurting her with the left now. The left doesn't like that she was a tough-on-crime Democrat, but that is, that's actually was going to be part of her design. If you ask 35-year-old Kamala Harris what her plan was, is you know she's got liberal views, but she was going to appeal to some Republicans and people in the middle because she's a, a law and order Democrat and she was going to have the, the the reputation of being a prosecutor. Bernie, uh, not Bernie Sanders, uh, Cory Booker. Cory Booker did one bill. He actually had a bill in Congress, I think with Lindsey Graham. He was known as the mayor of New York, New Jersey, as the guy who could work with Republicans. He was, he was actually thought of as a very moderate, almost conservative Democrat for a long time. So Kamala Harris... Cory Booker, Kirsten Gillibrand in New York was acting like a pro-gun Democrat in New York State. And then uh, so, so did uh, Amy Klobuchar in Minnesota. She has a clip out there about how uh, the thing she asks herself about guns is, would, would it affect my uncle who hunts? And now the left is going after her and uh, not being hard enough on guns. The left's going after Gillibrand, not being hard enough on guns. And so there's at least these four major candidates who their their plan the entire time was the Bill Clinton plan. Their plan was to be a middle of the road Democrat and win an election that way. They are all running to the left as fast as they can. Sometimes comically, like they're bad at it. Like Kamala Harris isn't actually as insanely liberal as she's acting. 
She's pretending to be more liberal than she is, and she's not even good at it. That's why she and Cory Booker and Kirsten Gillibrand and all those people, they came out so quickly on the Jesse Smollett story because they were trying to get their points with the intersectional left who does identity politics. Like They ran out there on that story but before it all fell apart and he's arrested now for that fake crime. Like this is a problem for these for these folks that they they are getting out flanked because Bernie Sanders is out there who's actually an insane left-wing person. Same thing with Elizabeth Warren. And so they're out there trying to get to the left of those candidates so they can pick up the energy of the core left-wing base of the Democratic Party. And they're not actually as liberal as they as they as they seem, I hope they know they're doing, or actually I don't care if they know. What do I care if they know? That something that's happening is they are going to make Donald Trump seem more normal. As they tack further to the left, it only makes Donald Trump seem like a less insane person. But what's going to end up happening is we're just going to get to another election where it seems we have two insane people. Because that's what we had in 2016. It's likely what we're going to have again because these Democrats are having to run so far to the left to make themselves appealing. The one person who still is intriguing out there is Joe Biden. Joe Biden, uh, middle-class Joe, as he likes to call himself, he has a route. You know, he's the Obama coalition still has affinity for him. He, he has that middle-class appeal. I actually feel like he could, he could dig into that that Trump coalition that won in the election. Trump, the Trump coalition that got in the election was, were white, non-college-educated voters in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. Those folks didn't necessarily vote for Obama, but they also didn't vote for Romney. They were disaffected voters. They saw Donald Trump as that blue-collar guy, which is insane, but that's what they saw him as, you know, fighting for the little guy, the middle-class middle guy. Joe Biden has the same appeal and Joe Biden is as much as a jerk as Donald Trump is. And if they get into a debate, they're just going to end up you know, screaming at each other, different insults. So he has a route there as well. Uh, but as it stands, if you had to ask me who's going to come out of it, Beto O'Rourke seems to me to be the guy who has the best shot at becoming the nominee. So there's a little handicapping of the Democratic presidential nominees. That's all the serious stuff we're going to do for the week. Let's move on to sports. As we do, we're going to finish up talking sports with our sports correspondent. He's also my good friend. His name is Heath Powell. Hi there, sir. Hello. Welcome to the show. Let's talk first about our first, well, I guess your first love is your wife and kids. After that, it's the game of football, right? That's true. <laughs> and so I have, you know, family interest, and then after that, it is the game of football. Uh, the AAF, I have one thought from some games I've been watching. There are two quarterbacks that I thought were going to be great in the NFL. It was Aaron Murray from Georgia and Zach Mettenberg from LSU. Yep. I like they're getting to play. I get to watch them again. They're getting to play, and the reason Zach Mettenberger is here is because he was 0-10 in the NFL. He has never won an NFL game. Th- is that true? I didn't know That's that. That's very true. Oh, man. He's looking good. Yeah, he looked good last night. I mean, you know, or uh, last week. Yes. Um, I-, I like seeing these guys get a second chance. You know, maybe it didn't work out in the NFL. Maybe it was the offensive coordinator. Maybe it was the scheme. Mm-hmm. You never know what it is that makes a guy not work in the NFL. Part of it was my own pride. Because I remember saying, Aaron Murray, man, next Matthew Stafford of Georgia, right. man, that guy's going to be a player in the NFL. 
and then he was a bust. Yeah, he was an outstanding quarterback at Georgia. He was awesome. He just, for some reason, it doesn't translate. Just like Taj Boyd, he was great at Clemson. Yeah. But he just, I don't know, he couldn't catch on, or I don't know what it was. Even in Canada, he just didn't do well. I didn't even know he played in Canada. He did. Quick Taj Boyd story. I have a weird colored suit, and I got to meet him once, and he said, hey, bro, that's a bad A suit. But he didn't <laughs> say bad A. Right. And I was like, hey, Taj Boyd just said a cool thing. So uh, I got to meet Taj Boyd once. Um, okay, so the beyond that on the AAF, their other other big takeaway is, I guess, from around here, Steve Spurrier's 3-0. Hey, Orlando looks good. Is he not like in his early 70s? I, I think he's in his mid to late 70s. Wow. I, I don't know, but I, I think he's past the early 70s. And he's still inv- doing well in the game of football. If you're going to coach and you're an old guy, go to Orlando. Yeah, why not? That's the city to do it in. Um, away from football for, for a bit. Zion Williamson blew out a shoe. Yes, he did. The Tar Heels beat the Blue Devils, which we love. Yes, they did. You're Zion Williamson. You're 18. You're about to cash in. And if you can get clear to play, do you come back and play, or do you shut it down for the year? Well, Duke took out a $50,000 insurance policy that will pay Zion Williamson $8 million if an injury causes him to drop below the 16th pick of the draft. I had no idea. That's actually good. I'm glad they did that. Yeah, that, I mean, it's That's smart. my class. Yeah. Um, and here's another thing from that. I think Nike just messed up a $300 million contract because if I was Zion Williamson, I would not sign with Nike. No way. <laughs> um, and, you know, unless they just go out above and beyond to make it up to him. Uh, but here's, you know, Under Armour, Adidas, this this is their chance. Yes. Um, you know, his problem is he, he wears a shoe that's made for slashers and cutters. Yeah. Except he's 285 and he's 6'8", so when he cuts, the shoe exploded. The, the shoe's not built for him. I, he needs to go back to the old school Shaqs or the old school yes. Charles Barkley's, the CB34s, something like that. For his body type. For his body type. Now, he doesn't play like those guys. He can slash and cut, but his body type is not made for the shoe that he was wearing. I think of me as the words guy, but you've read more books than I have. And you just used the right word, explode. I didn't think of that word. No, no. That's what his shoe did. His shoe exploded. Yeah. His, the shoe was up on his shin, and his foot was all the way through the shoe. It exploded when he stopped. I My thought, I think I put it on Twitter, it was, if you own stock in Nike, <laughs> sell. <laughs> you should sell it. Right now. Because it's going to plummet in the morning. Yeah, if you have an inside track on what shoe contract or what company he's going to sign with, you should buy that stock. Who is, isn't is Steph with one of the other... Steph's with Under Armour. He needs to go to Under Armour. Yeah, he should. Or, yeah. you know, like Clay Thompson's with LaLing, and so is um, Dwayne Wade from China. Yeah, DeMarcus Cousins said that college is bull, fill in the blank. Right. And that Zion should shut it down for the year. I think you and I do have similar idea on, if you, if you can go make money... Go make money. We probably wouldn't use the same language to Marcus Cousins. No, we wouldn't. Used. Right. But I kind of get his sentiment. Yeah. That Zion, shut it down, man. Go make some, some But cash. here's my thing. I, I don't think he wants to shut I think he genuinely enjoys being at Duke. I think probably he does. genuinely enjoys playing with his team, sure. R.J. Barrett and all those other guys. I, I think he really enjoys it. And Duke knew when he signed and all the other freshmen, this is a one-year contract. Zion knew that as well. Everyone knew. But, you know, everybody's got their cards on the table. They know what it is. And I think he, he seems to me like he doesn't want to shut it down. Like He wants to try to finish and win a championship. That's what it seems like to me. I don't know him. I don't know his family. That's me outside looking in. We're in the final two weeks of the season, a little bit less than two weeks. Yep. He certainly can't come back in the regular season. But if let's say he does come back. Uh, they're a number one seed going into the tournament. Well, Coach K said he was ready to come back now, and they just won't let him. Oh, so he, like he wants to play. Oh, he's one of those guys. Yeah. I actually like those guys. I do too. They want to play. They, they can't get medically clear. Because you remember Kyrie shut it down after I think it was eight games. And, yeah. You know, of course he is what he is. He's awesome. Oh, yeah. But I don't think Zion is, has that mentality. So they do have to be considered 
the favorite, right? Going into it that tournament, if Zion, if Zion Williamson is playing, they are the favorite to win everything, right? Yeah, to me it's Duke, Nevada, Virginia, okay. and probably Gonzaga. Gonzaga's got to still be yep. there. Now, how much does that change to you? If he can't play, is Duke n- no longer a top four choice to you? I think if he no longer plays, they're still a top ten team. But mm-hmm. I don't. I won't pick him for the final four if he's out. Yeah, he's he is the game changer. You know, I only got to watch him play three or four times this year. But what an athlete! Man. No, he's in, he's insane because he doesn't play like a six eight two eighty five. Yeah, he plays like a six two three two oh five two fifteen something like that. Now he can get down low. His explosion off his jump is ridiculous. His second jump is more explosive than his first jump, uh, meaning. He goes up for the shot, and then he's back up for the rebound faster than everybody else can get back up to it. Yeah. Uh, he's just – he's insane, man. He's awesome. I had one more, I guess, since we, we saved ourselves some time here. I had another football thought, and it was this. Okay, we, we sit down every week not having talked to each other. We just come out of church, right. right? There was a quarterback that Clemson signed to this class with a super weird name. and he was Fumacon. Thank you. You're welcome. And I'm asking – I guess the question is this. I don't think I like with knowing Trevor Lawrence is there and all that. If you're a kid and you know you're not going to get to play much because of who's ahead of you, what do you think leads? Why do you think Clemson gets that kid who who is probably not going to play much? Well, he may not play much at quarterback. Oh, but this does kid he do is other an things? Un- unbelievable athlete. Oh, I think he knows and the coaching staff knows and I'm you know Clemson's pretty upfront with their recruits. Like yeah, we have this guy, we have this guy, we have this guy. You know you can earn a spot. Um. I would not be surprised if he moves to wide out or run some kind of weird quarterback package. You know, I don't know what they're going to do with him. But I think it goes into the culture they have there now. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, people say that. That's a college word on, you know, but you know, national it's networks, the culture, the culture. But yeah. it's very accurate. Mm-hmm. Because when all these 17-, 18-year-old kids are saying it's the family culture, it's the culture, it's the football culture, it's the school, it means something because they're not out there to, to lie to you. There's a reason cliches exist. Because they're mostly true. And a lot of times they're true. Like stereotypes. Right. So like people don't want to use stereotypes, but yeah. a lot of times stereotype is true. Yeah. This is um this is a uh, a thing I don't mind saying about culture in college football because it just ends up being the case in a lot of places. Uh, last thing going into this uh, for the sports segment. Me being an NFL guy primarily. Yep. I'm looking at like the quarterbacks available to me going into the NFL, and if I'm being told that the guy from Duke, can't remember his name. Jones. Thank you. Ryan Jones, maybe? And then it is is Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones. And then Dwayne Haskins is his name from Ohio State? Dwayne Haskins, yep. If I had a top five pick, if I needed a quarterback, I'll be honest with you, I'd probably trade it out and wait until next year. I would too. I don't know. Unless you're going to take Dwayne Haskins, which would probably be the only one I would take a chance on. Because this quarterback class, to personally speaking, stinks. They're terrible. <laughs> it stinks. I don't even think there's like a diamond in the rough. Last year was rough. Yeah. This year is worse. You have that year where there was Jameis Winston and Mar- Mariota, like right. great quarterbacks coming. But the, oh, in two years, that oh will, it will be a quarterback class. Yeah, it will, it will do it again. All right, we've run out all the time for talking sports. Thanks for coming in and doing it. I appreciate we'll it. We'll be back with another new edition of the show next week. Remember, share the show everywhere on social media. You can support it on Anchor, listen on SoundCloud, CoreyTruX.com, and wherever you can get the show to others. It is highly appreciated. Until next time, everybody. Peace and love.